Welcome to those that are here in the sanctuary and welcome to all those following along on um, Zoom. Good to, good to see you all. Um, just, just got a couple of notices. So first, first of all, Mark's just going to come and uh, tell you about the all age service next Sunday. Thank you. Well, hello. So all age service next week. So we're going to be telling, uh, talking about Jesus journey, the Easter story, and it's going to be a children led service along with Helen and Alison and Jenny and myself. Um, and as with most of our all age services, we'd like you guys to be involved. So come along, be prepared to be involved, maybe dress up and as a Roman soldier or uh, wear a tea towel around your head, anything you want that looks the part, even just bring a, bring a branch to wave. Um, but we want you to be involved. So uh, be aware of that night at 10.30 next Sunday morning. There should be quite a few children here because we have a sleepover the night before. Um, so please pray for that as well. Uh, a sleepover, it may be a bit of a misnomer. But, uh, yeah, so it's really exciting. It's really uh, exciting to involve our community and all those people who come into the church through the week in our Sunday services. So please pray for next week, pray for the sleepover and uh, everything that's going on and be prepared to be involved. Thank you. I'm going to read uh, from uh, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray as we come together. Lord, we're here to say that you are glorious, you are mighty, you are sovereign, you are ruling over the whole creation, for you created it, and you, Lord, it belongs to you. And Lord, we're here because we live and move and have our being, because you breathed life into us. And Lord, we're here because this is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus, this is the day when you rose from the grave, and you're now ascended in heaven and coming again. And Lord, we celebrate that this is the day of Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday when your spirit came. And Lord, your spirit is here among us to uh, inhabit our praises. Lord, we're here because we believe that you are here and our hearts desire to encounter you and be changed. We are here, Lord, because we love you and delight in you and we want to proclaim and worship your holy name and enjoy your presence and be changed by your holy presence. So come, Holy Spirit, you are welcome among us here today. 
Jesus, be Lord over this place, over this time of worship. Release freedom in worship, joy in this place, that Jesus, you might be exalted and glorified among us today. In your name, amen. Let's stand to worship King Jesus.
Maybe you've got a, a song of praise you just want to start to, to lift before the Lord. Let's bring our praises. Let's just speak out our praises to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you. Extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, the most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Yes. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. Sure. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of your power of your awesome works. Yes, And Jesus. I will proclaim your great deeds. And I will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Hallelujah. Yes. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus, raise our 
praise and thanksgiving for this wonderful we stand forgiven oh lord we thank you for your forgiveness jesus we stand clothed in your righteousness oh lord stand forgiven counted righteous in him Thank you, Jesus. Alleluia. 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 Jesus. Oh. <laughs> what a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. <laughs> Lord, his words are inadequate. We stand, Lord, in holy awe and wonder again that you should die in our place that you should rise again so that we could be raised up. Thank you that death is not the end, but Lord, for those who love you, it's the gateway into eternity. And so Lord, although our hearts are heavy, we know that there are those among us, Lord, who've lost loved ones. We thank you that we do not grieve as those who do not have hope, for we know that those who love you, Lord, will go to be with you for eternity, where there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying. They'll be in the immediate conscious presence of Jesus for eternity. And so we thank you, Lord. Comfort us who grieve today. Pour out your spirit, Lord, upon us now. Pour out your love into our hearts, Lord God, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I just noticed Abby came in there. So I'm just going to, could you come and give a notice, Abby, about, we've got an exciting, Abby's organizing an exciting um, worship event coming up the end of next month. So the floor's yours. Hi, everyone. Morning. Um, so yeah, we have been kind of plotting, planning uh, a worship event on Saturday, the 29th of April. I've got leaflets here that I can, I'm sure, leave somewhere and everyone can collect them. Um, and basically, it's just a evening of worship Saturday night for not really any kind of specific agenda, but just as a body, as a family, to have a time where we can come together and worship Jesus and we can bring and share whatever it is on our hearts. There might be a bit of a 
worship kind of setting in a traditional sense of like music and things, but we're also going to try and have some creative arts and a dance section, maybe with some flags, just so people can express their worship to Jesus, however that is for them, whether it's quietly in the corner or a bit more like me, jumping around like a bit of a loony. Um, <laughs> but, you know, whatever the expression is, it's welcome. And if you want to bring a, like a word or a passage, then you're welcome to as well. But I will leave these somewhere where it's appropriate. I'll take guidance on where to leave them. Um, and yeah, we look forward to seeing you come along, bring your friends, bring your family, and let's worship Jesus together, I guess. Thanks, That's it. Sounds great. Thanks. Leave them on the reception. You know, at the, the on the left as you go out. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. Thanks, Abby. Sounds exciting. Could have our own Asbury here, couldn't we? <laughs> it may not stop. <laughs> okay. So Mark's recorded a series of videos through uh, Lent. That's the one, isn't it? We're in Lent still uh, up to Easter and. Uh, We've got another one for you now to tell the story of the last week of Jesus' life. If you are willing, please take this cup suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. against a robber with swords and clubs. When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Save the speeches for your trial! <laughs>
What do you think Caiaphas will do with this Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, he will get his due, along with all his followers. You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. I don't know what you're talking about. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. I swear I don't even know the man. You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. About time. Now all of you, move it. <laughs> We're taking Jesus to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you asking this on your own? Or did someone tell you about me? Your own people and the chief priests brought you to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. Are you a king then? You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Take him and scourge him. that I have the power to crucify you, and the power to release you? You could have no power at all against me, unless it had been given you from above. Bring him outside.
we take up the offering, um, please? And then I'll pray in response to what we've just seen. Pray for the children as they uh, leave us in a moment as well. Thank you, Barbara. Lord Jesus, as we remember the, your trial and uh, the way you were sentenced to death and the way you carried your cross to the place of your execution, Jesus, our hearts um, are moved again with thanksgiving. Lord Jesus, you gave up the majesty of heaven. You entered into the frailty, the weakness of our human flesh, and you suffered mocking, flogging, and crucifixion. And you did that in order to pay for my sin and the sin of the world. And so, Lord, we give you this money as we give you our lives as a small token of our offering of thanksgiving laid down in sacrifice to you. So Lord, take and bless this offering, we pray. The Lord, as the children now leave us too and go into there to learn about you, Jesus, we pray your blessing on them and their teachers that they would learn more, Lord, of what it meant for you to love us in the way that you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading uh, this morning is Psalm, whoops, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey open, their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O oh Lord, be not far off, O oh my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
all you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he will rule over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that this is a living word written so long ago, Lord, and yet it speaks into our very heart and soul. So, Holy Spirit, open up our understanding, open up our minds and hearts to receive your word and to put it into action. Lord, we want to uh, be doers of your word and not just hearers. So help us now, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amazing that those words were written over a thousand years before Jesus hung on the cross. And yet, so many, you'll recognize so many prophetic words there fulfilled in the death of Jesus, even down to the way that his clothes were divided at the foot of the cross. But this is a psalm that has um, a meaning in its own context. David wrote it uh, as a psalm of lament. Um, about a third of the psalms in the Bibles in the Bible are psalms of individual lament. lament. Um, these are prayers of someone in suffering and difficulty who is wrestling with God in prayer. They're wondering, where is God in their suffering? If you like, they are kind of prayers, they're like holy moaning, uh, holy moaning and groaning. Or as J.I. Packer calls them, psalms of complaint. We don't like people who whine and complain, do we? Except, of course, when it's us who are whining and complaining. But bad things happen to good people, don't they? And they certainly, that's uh, what happens in the Bible. Uh, bad things happen to Joseph. He was imprisoned and his brothers tried to kill him. David spent so much of his life on, on the run being hunted down by Saul. And Jesus, well, you don't, you don't have to uh, think too hard about Jesus. Good people suffer evil. Bad things happen to good people. And it's okay to do some holy moaning in prayer. It's okay to voice psalms of complaint to God. Um, the problem is we have a problem with this in our English reserve, our politeness. We are ever so polite um, and courteous. We celebrate the stiff upper lip, don't we? That sort of public school stiff upper lip thing. And so we find these kind of candid, honest, open prayers quite difficult to deal with. We don't know what to do with them. It just seems too raw, too honest, too emotional. J.I. Packer, in his book, Praying, critiques our Western culture 
that has a problem with these psalms of complaints. Uh, quote, Northern European influence culture has historically embraced the stiffer lip upper ideal of human behavior and habitually looks down on people who voice personal complaints in public as morally inferior weaklings. That's true. We don't want to be snowflakes, of course, uh, whining and complaining uh, about everything. That's not, that's not what J.I. Packer means. Packer means that as Christians in the West, we need to learn to pray more openly, more honestly, more candidly to God in the face of suffering. Isn't this what we do with a loved one, a family member or a, a partner or a good friend? It would be strange indeed if we never really shared how we felt. Do you agree? If, if they said to you, oh, how are you? And you said, oh, I'm fine. And on the inside, you're falling apart. Wouldn't it be strange if you held back from telling somebody how you really felt? Well, why is that so different with God? Why do we play games and put our masks in the presence of God? Why do we think we have to pretend to have it all together? Why do we wear the stiff upper lip with God? He knows our hearts anyway. We may as well be honest. He knows what we're thinking. And there will be times when we are struggling with doubt. We need to complain to God in, a, in the right kind of way. God's ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. We do not understand the suffering in the world and even the suffering that happens in our lives. We will have questions for God, won't we? Yeah. If you don't have questions for God, I'd be amazed quite frankly. So much of life, the Christian life, is a mystery. We don't get our questions answered, this side of glory. What God knows is good for us and best for us doesn't always look good for us at street level, right, from our perspective. But God knows. God takes us to places we would never choose to go. Because of this, the life of faith for us at street level is one of trust, um, just like your parents made you go to the dentist and you didn't want to go, but you trusted them because you knew ultimately it was good for you, or you hoped it was good for you. If you can, maybe that's not such a good illustration these days. It's really difficult to get to the dentist, isn't it? But you know what I mean? We put our hand tr trustingly into the hands of those that we trust and love, and we go to those places that we don't want to go because we trust that they have our good at heart. And that's how it is with God. We will be left with questions about what on earth is God doing in this part of my life? What's he up to? Where is he? And expressing struggles in prayer, as David did in the Psalms, is an act of faith. It's a relationship. It's not a pretend act your faith in God, it's a relationship. And just as you have a relationship with those close to you, who you are totally open and honest and candid with, I hope, if not, learn to communicate. We men are not so good at this stuff, are we? We need to learn to communicate, to be open about and honest about our feelings. Rather than bottling it up and getting angry and irritable, we need to talk it out. I'm speaking to myself. David 
complained to God. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Here's holy moaning in prayer, right? Here's how to do it. If you've got questions, God can handle them. He doesn't mind you crying out and struggling in your faith. Where are you, Lord? How much longer, Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts? Where have you gone, Lord? These are the sort of prayers that David prayed. We're so polite and English and reserved, aren't we, in our prayers? David wrote this psalm over a thousand years before Jesus prayed from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Unbelievable. This is not just a psalm, though, which prophetically predicts the future details of Jesus' death, although it does. It has a horizon of fulfillment in David's life. It applies to an ordinary believer just like you and me. So this prayer of David is not just for Jesus. It's also for you and me. It's not known exactly what circumstances inspired David to write this psalm, but it's clear that his life was under threat. If you read the books of 1 and 2 Samuel or Chronicles or Kings, you will see that David's life was under threat. He was on the run. He lived on the run in caves and sometimes homeless out in the open because Saul and his men were hunting David down. They were like wild dogs who were threatening to tear his flesh apart if they caught him. And David cries out in the midst of suffering. And I want, I want us to examine three things today about how to pray in the midst of extreme suffering. First, praying when you don't get an answer. Um, we stick that up, thanks Carol. There are times of intense pressure, stress, suffering, when we seem to be praying the same prayer for God to help us day after day, and he doesn't seem to be answering, at least in the short term. We may be able to look back with hindsight and see his hand, but in the moment, in the short term, we cannot see the big picture of what God is up to. Anybody been there? This is what David experienced, verse two. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm not silent. Here, David, during the day and on his bed at night, crying out to God, where are you? What are you doing? And getting no answer, just silence. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Um, years ago, I read a book by um, C.S. Lewis. You know C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Narnia Chronicles, including The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, there's a really... Uh, candid account of his grief after his wife Joy died, he openly describes what he experienced upon the, the, the death of his wife Joy. If you've seen um, the film, um, I can't remember the name of it now, Shadowlands, Shadowlands, it chronicles this account. I quote from Lewis um, in A Grief Observed, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself, 
and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it seems, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is God so present a commander in our times of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? I tried to put some of these thoughts to God this afternoon, and he reminded me that the same thing seems to have happened to his son, Christ. Why hast thou forsaken me? I know. Does that make it easier to understand? Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but so what is this God really like? If you read on to the end of the book, Lewis never lost his faith, but grief made him question his own faith and cry out in complaint against God. In the later part of the book, Lewis recovered the hope that one day in heaven he would see his wife again and that they would both be transformed and that their struggles in this life would no longer seem relevant. And as he reflected on the hope of the gospel, Lewis was lifted out of his despair. Most of us as Christians would never write dare write a book so open and honest and candid. But I thank God for Lewis's honesty. And we see some David doing something similar in the psalm. Although he begins with a complaint, he doesn't stay there. He keeps reminding himself through the psalm about who God is and how God has saved his people in the past. Look at this. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. So David looks back to the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt, and he remembers how God rescued them by delivering them through the Red Sea. When they cried out to him to deliver them, he parted the Red Sea, and they went through on dry ground, and the Egyptians were drowned behind them, and God saved his people. When we read the pages of the New Testament, we remember the early church were persecuted and told not to preach in the name of Jesus. They were imprisoned and flogged and told to stay silent. And yet when they prayed, God gave them even more courage and boldness to keep on speaking. God delivered them, never abandoned them. And when we are in the midst of struggles and sufferings, we can look back to scripture and remember how Christ has delivered us. Look at Romans 8, for example. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor that any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's one of the texts that I hold on to on dark days. Nothing, nothing 
in all creation. Not even death can separate us from the love of God. It's painful to lose a loved one. But not even death can separate us from the love of God. That's what we hold on to. That's the rock solid, wrought iron hope of the gospel right there. And that's where we go to in the, in the struggles and the pain of life. Second, praying when our strength is gone. Um, can we stick that point up? Thank you. David's life was under threat. He was hunted down to be killed by Saul. Um, so much so that he describes himself as about to be torn apart by wild animals. Verse 13, roaring lions. So we can go back one. Roaring lions tearing their prey open, their mouths wide against me. And on the run, David went without food and drink. He became so emaciated and weak that he nearly died. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. Hopefully you and I will never be hunted down by a king and his soldiers and have to live in caves on the run and go without food and drink for days on end. But maybe you have experienced seeing a loved one or even yourself. You've become or they've become emaciated, weak. You, they've lost weight. Maybe you've been close to death yourself. You understand David's heart here. Look at how David prays in such situation. Verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. You know, sometimes we're, if we're in grief, we're really struggling. We need others to stand in the gap for us, don't we? Sometimes the words just don't come. And it's at those times where we need to just ask somebody to come alongside us and pray for us. And they can cry out to God like this, as David did, in prayer for us. The reason that we can be so honest and open like David and C.S. Lewis is that we have a God who knows what it is to suffer in Christ Jesus. Jesus experienced all the sufferings of David the psalmist, and he fulfilled them completely as he died on the cross. I'm just going to pick three out. There are so many prophecies in this psalm that we'd be here all day. But here's some key ones. Verse 7, you recognize this. All who see me mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. That's in the Gospels, describing Jesus on the cross. People shook their heads and insulted him. Verse 16, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Remember, Jesus' hands were pierced by the nails and his feet pierced by the nails. David's context was he was being threatened like by wild animals who were going to pierce him, tear his flesh. Well, Jesus' flesh was torn by the nails through his hands and his feet. Verse 18 is another prophecy. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. You remember the Roman soldiers at the foot of the cross? Gambling for Jesus' clothing. Jesus. 
Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness and suffering because he has hung there in, huma in full humanity as well as God. He understands everything that you go through. But he doesn't just sympathize with you. He brings transformation because he's the son of God who's without sin. Um, back in the 80s, I used to enjoy David Watson's writings. David Watson was a charismatic, um, uh, I, I mean, he, was a, he believed in spiritual gifts and uh, he was a, a very key leader in the Church of England, particularly in York back in the 80s. But he struggled with terminal cancer. And uh, in his book, Fear No Evil, I, I'm gonna quote from David Watson's book, Fear No Evil, because it's powerful. Quote, there cannot be a God of love, men say, because if there was, and he looked upon the world, his heart would break. Well, the church points to the cross and says God's heart did break. It is God who made the world, men say. It is he who should bear the load. The church points to the cross and says he did bear the load. Although Christ has suffered once and for all on the cross for our sins, he still today weeps with those who weep. He feels our pain and enters in our sorrow, into our sorrows with his compassionate love. End quote. That's powerful. But the death of Jesus was not the end of the story about suffering. That's why I love that song, Oh, to see the dawn. Because we don't stay with the cross. We move to the resurrection. We're not just forgiven at the foot of the cross. We have been raised to life with Jesus. We have been forgiven. And we have been declared to be righteous. And we've been declared to be in Christ sons of God, adopted sons. And because Jesus rose and ascended, and he's reigning at the right hand of the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit as a victory gift, just like uh, kings would overthrow enemies and bring back the spoils of victory to their own people. Do you know what the spoils of victory were for Jesus the King? It was the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on all believers. And do you know when you're unable to pray, when you're sobbing and the words won't come, do you know who's praying underneath those groans and sobs? It is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8. I can honestly say I've prayed like this many times in the face of grief. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with words and groans that words cannot express. Isn't that amazing? When the words won't come, when only groans and sobs will emanate from us, the Holy Spirit is praying through those groans and sobs and translating them into prayers to the Father. Third, praying with hope. 
I'm going to end with the good news because this, I appreciate this is heavy, all right? So I always want to land on good news. There are two ways David prays with hope that teach us how to pray with hope. Not with optimism, with hope. First, David finds support and hope in the worshipping community of the faithful people of God. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When we least feel like coming to church is the time when we most need to be in church. The enemy is threatening death for David, but he remembers that in the congregation of God's people, he finds hope because that's where God's power is, is in the congregation of God's people. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Sometimes when we're under extreme pressure, we're doubting, we're suffering, we're struggling to hold on, we're at the end of the rope. The best place we can be is among God's people because that's where God is. Um, some of the NIV translation is really weak and unfortunately on verse 3 of Psalm 22 it's poor. So I'm going to read to you a better translation of verse 3 in the English, English Standard Version which is, yet you are holy, now listen, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Wow, do you hear that? When we praise God through prayers and singing, God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Wow, we're not just singing for the sake of it. When we sing and praise God in prayer and song, God comes among us in majesty and power and is enthroned among us. That's why we're singing. And that's why you need to be here on a Sunday, because this is where God is. This is where you encounter him through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where he transforms our grief. This is where he meets with us and lifts our perspective to heaven. This is where we receive encouragement through the word, through the words of the songs and through people's prayers. This is where we are lifted out of the pit because we find Jesus in the pit with us and he lifts us up and sets our feet upon the rock. We may feel God's absence in our circumstances, but we experience God's presence in the community of his gathered people. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes you, you don't have the ability, the strength to sing, but when you hear the people singing around you, your spirit is lifted. Sometimes you don't have the strength to pray, but when you hear people praying around you, or when someone comes alongside you to pray, your soul is lifted, refreshed, and you are strengthened. Despite all the evidence to the contrary in your experience, God is still on the throne. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. However bad the news gets, Jesus is still on the throne, and he's coming again, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. My hope is in the Lord, 
nowhere else. Not in my bank balance or my pension or in the human ability to, to solve the environmental crisis, although as Christians we should do all we can towards that end. My hope ultimately is in Jesus. He's on the throne. He's coming again. He will renew the heavens and the earth. I don't have a glib answer for suffering. But I do know this. Jesus is coming again to put an end to all suffering. And one day in a new heaven and a new earth, this life will seem like a temporary blip in eternity. All sufferings will be relativized in the scope of eternity. In the blink of an eye, we will be changed. I couldn't resist ending with Revelation 21. Then, according to John, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Oh. One day, there'll be no more arthritis. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more depression. There'll be no more suffering or decay or death or growing old because Jesus is coming again to set the whole creation free and to give us resurrection glorified bodies. We have hope, a living hope in Christ who died, who's risen, who has, who's ascended, who's poured out the comfort of the counselor, the Holy Spirit upon all flesh and who promises to come again and renew the heavens and the earth. Now that's hope. So like David, whatever circumstances we're in, we can rejoice because we have a God who has saved in the past and who will ultimately save us today and who will certainly save us in the future. Let's pray. Jesus, I wanna pray for all those who feel your absence today in this room. For those who are grieving, for those who are frustrated and disappointed. Lord, for those who are praying the same prayers and not getting the answer that they want or hope for. I want to ask, Father, that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. Lord, I want to ask that you fill them with your love again. And I want to ask, Father, that you fill them with hope. Strengthen them with your power, Lord, in their inner being, that they might be filled with your love, your comfort, your hope again. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say to those of you who are struggling that as a prayer team, we, it is absolutely essential that we offer the God who transforms suffering 
that we offer that hope and opportunity for you to be prayed for. We have a God who heals. We have a God who lifts people in despair out of the pit and puts their feet on solid ground. We have a God who brings light into darkness, who brings hope into despair, and who brings healing to those who are suffering. So please do not go from this place without asking for prayer. Remain in here at the end of the service. There are so many people who'd love to pray with you and for you and alongside you. Let's, uh, we're going to go out on a deliberately triumphant note. Um, I'm, I'm a bit biased because I have to admit, we had this at our wedding. It's an old classic Wesley. And uh, so I'm indulging myself a little bit today. I, I, at least I'm honest. But I want us to go out on, on, on with victory in our hearts. We have a God who has saved us, delivered us, poured his grace upon us, and we should rejoice. Whatever our circumstances, we should be filled with joy, whatever our circumstances. So we're going to sing, and can it be? If the men, if you know your part, men, sing it out with gusto. All right, let's stand.
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Thank you, Jesus, that we can approach the throne of God boldly in prayer because you've made a new and living way for us through your death and resurrection. The temple curtain has been torn in two from top to bottom. And God invites us into that holy of holies, that place of intimacy in prayer where we can dwell and enjoy and delight in the presence of the Father. So, Father, pour out your spirit upon us again this morning. Help us to delight in you, to be filled with joy, whatever our circumstances. May we sing and praise and boldly approach the throne of grace because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.